That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and J.C. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. We're excited about today's show. We got a, we got a great guest yeah. today. We have Mike Royce. Woo-hoo. He likes writing. Emmy winning. He likes writing. It's, it's I know. It's annoying. We'll get into that. We're, we'll yeah. make him explain himself. Yeah. Uh, we'll make him hate us. it. We'll make yeah. him hate it. By the time this is over, he'll see our point of view. I hope so. We'll do first our best. First joke of the day. I'm sorry. First joke it of the should day. have been the very there first thing is. Goldie said. Daniel Smith. Thank you. Uh, Goldie, we had a big week. We had a big week over at Family Guy. Yeah. So we uh, were had a party to celebrate our 400th episode, which is crazy, an insane number. We had a party that was on the Fox lot, and I really wanted to go in and have it look terrible and shitty so <laughs> I could make fun of it a lot, but they actually did a pretty nice job. I mean, I, nice. maybe 500 will be in a building, but right. this one was nice. <laughs> Um, it was nice. Yeah, it was fun. We, uh, uh, Rich Appel and I made uh, a speech, and then Seth made a speech, and then Seth sang with a, with a band and Alex Borstein. Goldie, what did you think of the party? <sighs> <laughs> well, look, I, when I look back on it, I really haven't had that big a role at Family Guy. Like, I was there between seasons eight and ten. And then I came back at season 20 right. <laughs> and I've been back a year. So I was sitting there and I was like, I don't even deserve my imposter syndrome. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I walked in and then it was like my Terminator brain was like looking around going like, don't want to talk to that person. Don't want to talk to that person. And like navigating a green laser path that I could yeah. like bip bop my way to a oh taco without and maybe hit JC along the way and then hit you and avoid everyone so and i'm also you know i'm sober now so you just kind of go what you know people come up and just start yelling at you yeah and and you're like i i'm sober i so you're like screaming in my face about something i don't care about and i'm smiling politely and then you know just 
trying to go, where are the hors d'oeuvres? I don't know. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah. I had a good time in some yeah, It sounds yeah. like it. There was a very, very funny detail, which I, I think wisely you were long gone by this point. But those parties are, I, I, some would say, mercifully oh, short. Oh, and you did a very nice job with your remarks. Oh, thank oh, you. I heard that was a great and, uh, Yeah, JC Always was kiss the... your boss's ass first. Jesus, <laughs> what am I doing? Show business JC... lesson one. God. JC was in the bathroom. I know. I missed it. Well, the bathroom oh, was God, so far I'm, away. I envy you. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, to have been smelling shit instead. Um, <laughs> no. One thing that that really made me laugh was that... <laughs> I like when there are sort of small errors in uh, in party flow. Okay, that, sure. you know, are clearly miscommunications, and then only I and maybe a few other people really notice them. And they don't take away from the party any more than three percent, but they are yes. unforced errors. So <laughs> yeah. one thing I saw was that they had a full orchestra there, which was great. Yeah. Think about yeah. a twenty-piece orchestra, and Walter Murphy, who is a very gifted composer conductor comes up and he conducts them in the family guy theme which everyone's like oh great but what i think they didn't realize was that 10 minutes later seth mcfarlane and alex borstein were going to perform the family guy theme live which was going to be like a big highlight of the party right but But so when they did this everyone's reaction was kind of like yeah we just heard it right no you already played that it's sort of like who wants to hear american pie again it's like well i guess all of us a little but not as much as we would have had we just not heard it right so i enjoyed that yeah you love that kind of stuff oh just a little nail in the tire so it's like the trip is is over 10 miles sooner than did you guys see walter murphy in reboot in steve levitan's show he no. was in Reboot. He's got a wow. little cameo there. Yeah. All right. Well, I got to get to that. I'm not cu- fully caught up, I oh, guess. Oh, yeah. Sorry. And by that, I mean I've seen one of eight. <laughs> it's really <laughs> Not good. fully caught up. It's Let's really just good. stick with that. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a funny detail. Uh, when the, the So the party was called for 7 to 10. And right at 10, very l- bright floodlights come on. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, it was like the worst version of a bar turning the lights on. And... Within a minute after 10, there were four uh, union guys up on the stage, turned the piano on its side, and were (laughs) power drilling the legs out. (laughs) It could not have been a faster sort of, you know, piranha version of taking down everything that was just there to celebrate us. The subtext was kind of like... Get out. Yes. Yeah, it was oh, subtext. That was the text. No, I mean, the, the, the whole party from the invitation to the time it ended felt a little bit like, just so you know, you're, we're not doing this for that long and you're going to have to leave. Yeah. <laughs> we're really busy and, and we, we can barely have a party. It's a really weird time. So just eat the things and then leave. Yeah. It was all and a and little a, like A amped. fun detail on the invite itself was the location of the party was given as commissary lawn <laughs> Which, and also well, just, you, you know you've made it for a studio the, the perfect marriage experience for me was that i get there and my wife lost her engagement ring know, we hugged that's when i first met her right then her. you know was literally because she had washed her hands in the bathroom like i got two bags of trash from the bathroom at security that we can go through when we oh. get home it's like yeah i'm looking forward to that <laughs> then found her engagement oh. ring oh three minutes later where's my phone Oh, oh no! Lost oh, her no. phone. Found her phone. 
Oh, okay, good, good, good. Oh, good. she found both things? Oh, yeah. Where was the ring? Yeah, there's no better feeling than being back to zero. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're right. 100% right. It's all about the fight to get back to zero pretty much every day. Yeah. And if you can get there, you can be happy. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Well, so, but seriously, congratulations to all of us. Like, 400 is <laughs> I'll a say it deal. to you because clearly yeah, that's what this is about. Congratulations longest. to you. Yes, you've been there you. almost the whole time. You've made enormous Thank contributions you. to the oh, show. Yes. As of you, JC, God. I've been sort of a, the, a contract teeth. worker Uber driver that has, <laughs> like, yeah. remained in its satellite <laughs> somehow doesn't get Somehow doesn't get surge pricing. <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never. I mean, it's funny because I, I, when I was bringing my wife around and then I, you you know, saying, oh, Steph, uh, I was introducing her. These are the new writers who've been there three years longer than I have. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, I know. There's still, like, quote-unquote new people who have been there over a decade. Yeah. Is- but we're I, we're all very grateful, I think, to have the job. Oh, yeah. It's Thank sure. you. Fun and- pulling teeth with this guy. <laughs> um, and... You don't and need that, to pull my teeth. My gums are receding. They're going to fall out. They're doing, it, they're doing it for you. Welcome my teeth are committing suicide. Work smarter, not harder. We got to get out of here. <laughs> they're defecting. Um, so what do you think? You want to talk about how people hate Jews or no? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> okay, go ahead. I just wanted to take 10 And so I didn't see Dave Chappelle's monologue. I read it because I'm just so – because the one thing I won't ever do is put myself at risk of seeing sketch comedy. I, I just, <laughs> I can't risk it. Yes. I, my my loathing for it is too strong of someone in a wig and glasses going, hey, you want to take a seat over here? No interest. But I That's sort of read... Good. Who's that character? I don't know. And so, but I, you know, I read the remarks, and, and so this has obviously cropped up a few times in the last month with uh, Kyrie Irving, Kanye West, and that, you know, Dave Chappelle is doing this thing that I think Trump you know, made national, but it's, it's, it's like this intellectual trick where you kind of go, Oh, there's a more to the story here. Like, he's like, don't DeSantis can't be nominated. Cause I know a little something and it's got out and there's never anything there, you know, yeah. there's never anything behind it, but it's, it's like Kyrie Irving going like, I'm just putting it out there and there's more, it's Bill Belichick writing the letter to Trump and then refusing to talk about it. It's like you know, Kyrie Irving did not discover some secrets right. on right. his phone. Like what he has is he has ignorance from being in a bubble of never going out. And then he's just like peeing. Like if you went outside, you would know none of this is true. Like five years ago, he thought the earth was flat. If you look at the sky, you can see the moon is round. And if you ever look through a telescope, you can see the shadow of everything else is round. So either everything else is round and we're the one thing that's a Frisbee or everything's just round, right? Like that's really easy to figure out. And the only way you can think the earth is flat is if you never look up. And so similarly, like Chappelle is looking for this conspiracy and he says, you know, if Italians get together, it's a, it's a gang, it's the mafia of black do it. It's a gang. If Jews do it, there's no word for it. If Jews do it, the word for it is Jews. People say that derogatorily. Like there's a bunch of Jews. Like, don't worry. Jewish people are getting enough shit. Like, you don't need to step in and go, no one's taking a shit on Jews enough. Like, clearly, historically, they are. You're not some fucking hero pointing out something smart because he's like Trump. He lives on a farm in the middle of fucking Ohio now and thinks he has some grand insight into shit because he's digging into his phone. And he doesn't. He doesn't. And, and, uh, by the way, 
thankfully, like the reason these things happen to Kyrie Irving and Kanye West is because the only reason you're rich is brands want to be associated with you. Like literally capitalism is, yeah. is, is yeah. holding the line against racism, anti-Semitism, and extremism. And that's what they're doing on Twitter when they say, oh, anyone can log on Twitter now and be verified. Nike's going like, we can't be in a dangerous situation like that. Like we can't be at a party where there are drugs. Right. You know, we can't yeah. be in an ocean liner with no lifeboats. And so Kyrie miraculously has this incredible skill of putting an orange ball in a hoop that that gets aired on television. The corporations go, a lot of people want to watch this yeah. so we can sell them BMWs. Right. Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. why you get paid a hundred million dollars. It's not because of the because you can put the ball in the hoop in the in a vacuum that's completely irrelevant. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's nothing to put a ball in a hoop. Like it's cool, <laughs> but it's nothing. <laughs> yeah. So like that's the reason Kyrie's money disappeared. Cause these corporations are like, this is too dangerous for us. And it's why Twitter, brand. it's it's why Elon Musk, he's dug himself such a hole in two weeks of Twitter because it used to be you get a Tesla and you, and you think that advertises like I'm an environmentally conscious person. I'm a person right. who adapts new technology. And now the car is like a bumper sticker for an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't, if you buy a Ford, there's no preconception. I don't know what the president of Ford thinks of fucking Twitter. I don't even know if he's on there because he's smart. The car is a blank slate for just driving around it. But now the Tesla itself is the bumper sticker. Yeah. yeah. For an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. So this is a basic lesson on branding. Yeah. That you don't need to get Jews involved with at all. And by the way, if Jews happen to be in the media and they happen to be in banking, it's because they couldn't own land. And so many people were after them historically. Their occupation had to be stored in their head so they could take it with them as they're fucking fleeing their nation. So fuck oh. off. Wow. Unbelievable. <laughs> That is, a, first pleasure. of all, first of all, that was fantastic. <laughs> Very well said. Wow, what an eruption. He's, look at him. He's like James Brown. Somebody put a cape over him. Somebody, I, that might but, not make any sense when we play it back. No, no it, it, it will. It, well, first of all, it, it all makes perfect sense. But here's where I will push back slightly. And, for, and I'm the worst person to be talking about Jews because I grew up around them and I find them all annoying too. But I am one. <laughs> So it's like, you know, it's just like, right. you know, I, I get the day to day annoyances that are like, Ugh. I'm annoying but myself. On, <laughs> I know. Right. But on a grand scale, here's the thing. You should watch the Chappelle monologue because you said you didn't watch it and you I took that quote out of it. And it, it happened. I watched it. I thought it was fucking hilarious. And, it, and, and even in that quote, the way it was said, you you gave it a tone that it did not have. I, I I agree with but you that I think... But that's a subliminal message, I well, think. Well, no, it like, is when you... It's always a secret sure, message. It is when you read it, but it isn't when you see it performed. But I agree that he's intentionally pushing uh, a boundary, like, you know, as farther than maybe he should. But the monologue itself was very funny. Okay. And, yeah. I, and I, I was surprised when I read the next day the, the kind of backlash over it. And, of course, printed out the words didn't... Well, you know, this great. is, I mean, and let's bring the guest in, but I, and I'm curious to get his take on it, if, yeah. unless he doesn't we want know, to be we'll associated with, with us anymore and he's we'll, going to we'll. jump out the window of his office. <laughs> but like these standups who now think they're prophets, it's, yeah. and to me, they're, they're all so out of step and undereducated on what they're talking about. Well, I certainly, that they're uh, yeah. just 
friggin' fools with punchlines. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, that's my At least take. they have punchlines. So, all right. Well, now uh, we're going to get into the part of the show that makes us look foolish. <laughs> Let's get in to Johnny Jokes. Oh, from Hollywood and what religion is prominent there? We won't say, but you can figure it out. Here's Johnny's. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so we do the soft intro now of our wonderful and talented guest, yes. Mike Royce, who is Yay. with us. Mike, thank you so much for joining Welcome. us today. Uh, excuse me, I have a cold. It's been quite an education so far. <laughs> I'm happy to dive into the most controversial topic possible right away. Yeah, good. Well, we're, first, we're going to get to very uh, uh, sort of softball stuff because you have agreed to do Johnny jokes with us, which we appreciate. Yeah. They always add such an extra energy that we love. Um, and you, as a wise comic, have asked to go first. So please, <laughs> Johnny number one, take it away. All right. I'm going to try. The, the cold gives me a little leg up on the imitation. Nice. Uh, Good. Here's something interesting. Um, yesterday, Run from Run DMC shared a birthday with King Charles. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And that's not all they share. It turns out they were both born in Queens. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. It was worse to the stress for you to pretend to like that. Um, newly elected Senator John Fetterman is wasting no time talking about what he wants to do in office. Uh, he, he won't defund the police, but he'll triple the budget of the fire department because, according to Fetterman, and I'm quoting, fire bad. <laughs> he's, he's, like, he's, he's had some health issues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's actually, the joke got messed up because of his stroke. Because otherwise it's just a pure Frankenstein joke. Okay. You can punching down while punching up. <laughs> All right. Billionaire Rick Caruso looks like he's going to lose the mayoral race. Uh, he was endorsed by rich celebrities like Katy Perry and Gwyneth Paltrow, but he may have alienated voters with his campaign slogan, Black Cards Matter. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, last week in England, a man was arrested for hurling three eggs at King Charles. And in the U.S., people were shocked that someone could afford three eggs. <laughs> he's, he's obsessed yes. with King Charles. Oh, I was in London for two weeks thinking about Johnny jokes. I wonder what kind of spaniel he has. Yeah, exactly. Uh, those were excellent. Yes, thank you, thank you. Mike. Good. Okay, here we go. And, and we have some overlap topic-wise. Oh. Uh, well, uh, you heard it from Johnny number one. Uh, London police have detained a man for throwing eggs at King Charles. Yeah. Uh, in a statement to the press, the man claims it was all just a yoke. <laughs> oh, wait. There it is. That's what I was waiting for. God damn it. All right, we'll cut the air out of that. <laughs> but now I've talked about it too much. Okay, here we go. Joke number two. Uh, a new scientific study finds that sex may reinforce emotional patterns that we developed as children. Wow. Uh, I guess that's why my wife keeps asking, are we there yet? <laughs> it almost worked. It was like almost lined up. Okay, well, uh, some sad news. Legendary prop comic Gallagher 
died last Aww. week. He gone! Yeah, yeah. Uh, his full name is Leo Anthony Gallagher, or as watermelons know him, Hitler. <laughs> that, that could have been a norm. That should have been a norm. Yeah, totally, right. And anything totally. with Hitler in it should be norm. And finally, scientists. Again, I love those scientists. Scientists <laughs> oh, yeah. have found the first prehistoric cooking site in Israel. Uh, and while they don't know what was cooked, they do know it was sent back. <laughs> Johnny Three. That was a great joke. All right, here we go. Bringing it home. Well, inflation has caused the cost of Thanksgiving dinner to rise by almost 25%. And uh, all across America, tens of millions of families will now be forced to make do with the right amount of food. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Amazon, the company Amazon, is firing 10,000 workers. Yeah. Uh, the move is surprisingly being cheered at Amazon warehouses since it will free up room at the pee bottles. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> hey. Pee bottles. An anonymous auction bidder paid over $200,000 for Steve Jobs' old Birkenstock sandals. What? Boy, this Elon Musk doesn't know the price of anything, does he? <laughs> <laughs> and now the norm. All right. I'm going to finish on a norm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. After her recent divorce from Tom Brady, Giselle was spotted on a romantic vacation in the Virgin Islands with her jiu-jitsu instructor. But Tom's getting back on that horse, too. After yesterday's game, he showered with 53 guys. <laughs> we have one more stop oh, oh, yeah. on, this, on this special Johnny <laughs> train today. Great jokes, Johnny Three. Great jokes. Um, one more stop on this amazing Johnny train today. Uh, we have a we have a visit from Karnak the Magnificent. Karnak, please take it away. Thank you. I have to. I'm going to do both parts, and I'm not going to rip the envelope because I haven't rehearsed that part. But here we go. <laughs> He's down to his last three envelopes and doesn't want to go to Office Depot. I get it. <laughs> Reusable envelopes. <laughs> All right, Doctor Who. Doctor okay. Who. Yes. Who? What does Herschel Walker say each time he's billed for an abortion? Oh. <laughs> wow. Yes. That's great. Wow. All right. Starting with one and downhill from here. Number two. Taylor Swift. Okay. Taylor Swift. How does a transforming Hulk ask the seamstress to let out Bruce Banner's pants? <laughs> it's too long is the problem. Wow. Too long. Too much of an image. And finally, number three, Elon Musk. Elon Musk. Name an asshole. All right. I, you are with him Doctor Who. Doctor Who. Yeah. Lead, lead strong, fall off a cliff. So he liked writing. He did extra work. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> God, let's that. get to the bottom of that. Okay. So, <laughs> listeners out there, there are guests and there are guests. This is a guest. <laughs> Today, uh, we are honored to have two time, shall we say multi Emmy, multi Emmy award winning. Yeah. yeah sure. Two time sounds worse. <laughs> 
Right. <laughs> Either one, as long as you add Peabody winning, I suppose. Ooh, that's, <gasps> I agree. And Get that Peabody, Peabody recipient. Ooh. Let's call it that. Peabody winning. This writer has written on many, many hysterical shows, most notably Everybody Loves Raymond, which is a favorite of ours around here. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mike Royce. All right, welcome. Mike, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm, yes, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm literally starstruck right no. now. Yeah, well, that, that's... Because I listen to every episode. I've been watching that expression wear off over the last hour that we've been <laughs> <laughs> setting up and getting ready to go here. Um, <clears throat> so, Mike, I was uh, obviously... JC and Goldie know how much research I like to do. So I was just crunching numbers, <laughs> scrolling on the internet, saw a couple interesting posts from Kyrie, and then read all about you. Uh, but you, uh, you grew up in the Syracuse area, is that right? Correct, in okay. the suburb of oh, Syracuse. Oh, thank God he got something right. <laughs> I know. Yes. And yes. I was on the Goldbergs for 10 years. Oh, I heard that. Oh, I, got, I was sabotaged there. Goldie led me astray. Actually, I don't think you did. I checked the text. You said nothing about the Goldbergs. Um, Syracuse is kind of uh, oddly like a media hub. Like I feel like a lot of people from the Syracuse, the, well, certainly the school, end up working and sports and television and that kind of stuff was when you were growing up was this a, 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 something you wanted to do or did you have any idea i mean yes syracuse is the university has some you know a lot of media graduates and there's some we some weirdly famous people from syracuse like richard gare and i think tom cruise somehow is, whoa but the main motivation for being in Syracuse is getting out of Syracuse. <laughs> I, I love Syracuse. Like you love a place cause you're from, from there and it's, you know, I, I'm very attached to it and I'm very loyal to it, but the weather is mm. responsible for my adolescent depression. And I think still continues to have effects. <laughs> right. I deserve to live here. That's my, nice. like, uh-huh. I have paid my dues. I know yeah. we're in a drought and like nobody should be living in the desert. We should all be getting out of here. I'll be the last one. Right. <laughs> so my friends and I just, we were, I was like a super comedy nerd. I watched, you know, Saturday Night Live when it started. I was like Letterman. I would watch the morning show before I went to my job at York Steakhouse. I um, loved York Steakhouse. <laughs> oh. Yeah. My dad loved yeah. it. I did every, Aww. I did, I was a busboy, a dishwasher, a host. Ooh. Yes, I broke the, uh, whatever the opposite of the glass ceiling was because it was all the women and then yeah. I was, I broke in and took their jobs. <laughs> what an honor. What an honor. You know what? <laughs> and then I was a chef, which is why I have scars all oh. up and down my Really? Arm. Well, you can't see them now. But, no, but I mean, but you, is this true? This is chef? true. Yes, that's all true. Yes, wow. I mean. So I, you went from host to chef. Uh, yes, chef was the last stop. Chef should be put in the heaviest quotes possible. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, but they were so cheap; they didn't have oven mitts, or at least not enough of them. And you'd have to take these gigantic, you know, 40 baked potatoes out of the oven, and you'd just be looking around. And, you know, everything's moving so fast. And usually the only thing to be around was wet, wet rags, yeah. which is the opposite of what you need to take a thing. So I was taking them out and, you know, the, the heat conducted as happens and I dropped it. And then the, the tray went, oh, oh, my wow. arm. was this in high school or was this high after school, yeah. high school or 
Wow. High school and then one year, like one summer after I went to college. But and and I so you went to you ended up going to Ithaca, oh, which is yeah, a, that did, makes sense. did you have a good experience there? I hear it's a great school. Yeah, it was yeah. it was great. It was um they built a communications building like the year after I left. So I can see like <laughs> that's yeah, that's art <laughs> all the good all over. Yeah. Technologically they made gigantic advances the moment I was safely. <laughs> of course. <home. laughs> but I had a great time there and there were some great professors that like made a huge impact on me just uh, creatively. Creative it was a good place to be creatively. I made some really good friends there. And, Did he start stand up at that point or in college or no, I met, so we have a mutual, uh, Dave Juskow, who, uh, I think yeah. we all know. Um, yep, you sure. And he was Hi, Dave. a guy I didn't really know in college, but we went to, we went to Ithaca together and he was doing stand up in like at the, you know, he would, he apparently went to Dangerfields during his oh. college years, like I guess during the summer and he started getting spots and I was just so in admiration of someone who could do that. But I was, I just didn't want to do stand up at college and then bomb and then be trapped with your audience for three to four years. <laughs> you know, like to me, it's like a cruise ship that you can, you just can't get off forever. <laughs> so other people did stand up, but I was completely afraid to do it at college. Um, but, but, but then you ultimately did a couple of years after college. And did you start in New York or did you start, you know, closer to home or did you move to the city to, to give it a try? What, what made the decision happen to like, okay, I'm going to do this? It was my roommate from college had a room open up in his apartment on Staten Island. So I moved to wow. Staten Island wow. the summer, nice. like September after I graduated, just with not really a plan except to, I was a film major and I was going to try and get production assistant work in New York. And I started doing improv. I mean, I took an improv class is what I mean. Yeah. Right. And that was fun. And then I just sort of a few months later realized I can do stand up here and try it, which was my secret dream forever. Oh, that's cool. Because if, if I suck, who's ever going to, I'm just going to go home. No, I'll never see these people again. Right. Right. Yeah. It, the anonymity gave me uh, courage. Yeah. Right. And of and, course, then you realize that you have to see all the other comics again. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> so what year was that? that uh, the first time I went on stage was January 1987. At so boom Pips. times for stand-up. Well, I, my story is, I think somebody may have said this, but I have the same story if they did. I play like every club full like once and then like a year later, just nobody there for like five years. Right. Was, wow. I was mostly, my heyday was during the comedy recession, which was yeah. 90 to 90, you know, five or six really. Cause you brought me up on stage once at New York comedy club. I remember that cause you would host the open mic there, right? I hosted open mics mostly at Gotham. Yeah. It might've been oh. Gotham. But I remember, I mean, I remember you and I remember you seemingly having reached such heights that were, <laughs> you know, unobtainable, yeah. for, unattainable for me or Alec. I, I remember seeing you around and you were hosting stuff. And I did a lot of that. Like, were you able to make a living doing just stand up or were you doing other stuff? Yes, it was. I was very fortunate because Bill Grunfest ran the Comedy Cellar and he hosted all the shows. He booked, he hosted, did everything. Then he got a TV writing job. I think he got a job on Designing Women. And this was like 1990 or 1991 or something like that. And so uh, actually Ray Romano had gotten me into the Comedy Cellar, but I wasn't really getting that many spots. But I was somehow people perceived me as like a good host. And when Bill left, they just needed an MC for every, they had went from needing no MCs to needing all MCs. And I filled in a lot of that time. And it was a very, you know, it was nine o'clock to two in the morning uh, during the weeknights. Yeah. I didn't get so many weekends to start with, but 
but it paid like a hundred bucks. And so doing three or four of those plus some other spots in New York in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah I, I was great. I didn't have to go on the road and I could, you know, eke out that, a living. That's amazing. Yeah. I couldn't, we couldn't even eke. And Goldie, <laughs> by the way, you were, you were right that it was unattainable. I love how you, yeah. you say it now. It's like, we looked at that like you were unattainable. Yeah, we oh, didn't no, attain you it. might as we well have been a millionaire. It. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. But I, I, I'm wondering, like, did you, was your family surprised by you doing this? I mean, did people think you were funny and would do this, or did they want you to do it? People always said you should, like, I had people in my life who said you should do stand-up. But I was also very, I'm, you know, I can be funny on stage, but I'm not like a class clown. And I was very quiet. And, you know, my friends and I were the kind of people who sat in the back of the class and made jokes and then just shut up if anybody asked us what was going on. (laughs) Right, right. So it was a little bit of a surprise. I had a great moment, an amazing moment when I went to my high school reunion, my 20th high school reunion. So now I'm super successful just in terms of I have a job on Everybody Loves Raymond, right? It's 2002. Yeah. when there are still hit shows yeah. and I'm going no. to my high school reunion like with that job. So feeling good. Yeah. And I get there and I start talking to the guy who used to slam my locker shut in seventh grade. Oh, uh, awesome. Yeah, anti, you know, completely antagonized me. His, his email, um, I believe it was deerhunter at AOL.com. Okay. <laughs> um, he had a, culturally, he was a different sort. Yeah, sure. Right, right. Different um, path. So, you know, whatever. Now we're just talking, having a beer, whatever. And uh, he's like, yeah, how'd you get it? That's what you, so you're writing, everybody's saying, well, yeah, how'd you get that job? And I said, well, actually, I was a comic for a long time, like a stand-up comic in New York. And he just, like, stares at me. Just <laughs> Mouth no comprehension. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I guess it's hard for you to picture that, right? And he just, he couldn't even hide it. He just goes, yeah, I'm still chewing on that. <laughs> he, was, he was traumatized by the idea that I could I'm possibly do that. I'm still chewing on that. I'm love still chewing that. on that. What a good feeling, oh, though. So did you ever get on TV as a stand-up on late night shows? I finally did. I mean, I most of the 90s, I was working. By the late 90s, I was kind of like, you know, at the top of, you know, I was playing clubs and colleges everywhere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that, that was yeah. your intro. He plays clubs and colleges clubs and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and I, had, I, I did a bunch of TV shows. You know, I did the cable, Caroline's Comedy Hour and Evening the Improv. But finally, I got on Conan in 1998. That was sort of like my, my That's network huge. thing. Cool. And that was, I'm really glad that happened because right after that was when I went into writing. So I'm just was very yeah. happy to get on one of those shows when that was a thing. Yeah. yeah. And now I saw, um, and sometimes the internet is wrong, but according to the internet, your first writing gig was at Apartment 2F. Is that <laughs> That's right? Correct. Yes. Okay. The Squars. 
Yeah. The Sklar Brothers, I don't know if you know them, but they had of a show. Of course we do. Oh, of course. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> they got a show. They were very big on the alternative comedy scene when that was like ascendant. And um, yeah, and there were two I of them. also started getting into that and having a fun time. I used to do these slide shows at Luna Lounge where I would take pictures all around New York and I would just play the slides and say funny shit over it or hopefully funny shit. Yeah. And um, yeah. they liked what I was doing. So anyway, they gave me a job for their, their very strange hybrid sitcom stand-up sketch comedy weird thing that lasted one season but it was you know a fun and educational experience and that was for mtv is that right yes yes that was the first time i experienced the wonderful phenomenon of hey this show is picked up hey you know the executive who championed it yeah she's leaving (laughs) <laughs> and then the next, were you the new also the warm-up comic on that show yeah actually yes i was the warm-up comic but i was i did like a shtick i did like a weird i did it like a over-the-top cheesy warm-up character is what oh, happened cool. they had me do that for um they had a stage show uh, called double agents and i just would do this over-the-top like super cheesy warm-up guy i had like a thermometer about like how high i wanted the audience to like <laughs> get their enthusiasm <laughs> And um, I would just like throw candy sort of violently at everybody. Um, so you were and, just playing a warm-up comic, but just right, giving yeah. it like a full performance. Cause it, that's what... I mean, is this after years of actual do- warm-up comedy? Right. And then just <laughs> well, like, turning it up a little bit. The thing is, is that you can't satirize it because the, the guy we had on United We Fall, I mean, he would build a giant unicycle <laughs> and ride around on it. Yeah. Like, it's part of the act. So you can't go, ooh, I threw candy. It's like, whatever. And then he'd start juggling. So it's like, whatever you think you're doing, that's yes. a parody of it. It right. is that. <laughs> One of the most up. successful warm-up comics in this town, a millionaire many times over, I'm sure, puts a ladder on his face. He literally <laughs> yes. sits there and balances a ladder. That's like his thing. Yes. I've seen that guy. Um, yeah. He's very good. We, we had a warm-up comic on Dads, who we won't name, who tapped out. In the, in the middle you remember that yes <laughs> wow. yeah, we were trying just, someone new trying to work a new person just, into the rotation yeah, and just halfway through he said nope i'm done uh I've, I've never i've never seen scully so enraged and i think i believe scully just took over and yeah, he was did. like wow. making everybody laugh. you didn't do that for raymond though did you you didn't ever no do it no we had a after. really good guy named mark sweet and he actually proved to me I was good like in New York and I did Spin City in New York, which was a really good job because there were hardly any sitcoms. So it was good money and stuff. But I just patter, 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 patter. And I didn't come up with any games. And, you know, and it was basically if you like me, things are going to go well. And if you don't like me, it's going to be a very long night for both of us. And both of those (laughs) things happened uh, over and over. But then you come out here and you see these. I mean, Mark Sweet did hypnotism. And like, yeah. it's just this whole industrial complex. I mean, wow. people are really good at it. <laughs> yeah. We had a guy on Kilbourne for years who would just come out and ask people their area codes. <laughs> that was like 40% of his act. That's he'd pretty good, like, though. He's like, what's your area code? And they're like, uh, 206. He's like, Akron, Ohio. All right, what's your area code? Like, he just, he would just keep going. The talk I mean, show one is is the most – warming up a sitcom is impossible in a real skill. The talk show one is a little bit of a fraud because it, it's built into basically be an hour, maybe a little longer. There's never any real – That's true. You, you know, changing of the script or anything or, mm. or an actor true. freaking out that you then have to cover for 20 minutes. So the talk right. show one, to me, was free money. And I believe they get paid the same, but maybe I'm wrong about that. 
Well, I did the Maury Povich show for three years. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. I read that on the internet, too, but I wasn't going to say it unless you did. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Did you sort of follow a same format every every day with with that show? I mean, I didn't. I probably should have been better at it, but somehow I was good enough. Like, in other words, I didn't really go home and be like, you know, tomorrow maybe I should. (laughs) It was was 9 o'clock in the morning. Right. Oh. That's early. And luckily I lived on, it was on 26th Street. I lived at 26th and 3rd and the show was at 26th and 7th. And I would wake up as late as possible because I'd been up until 3 in the morning doing stand-up. Down, well, I'd run. Across, yeah. Across across (laughs) New York City. And then get into the office and just take coffee and put ice cubes in it and just, you know, <laughs> like that twice. And then run on stage almost, uh, you know, with no time because I was just barely making it. And, you know, then you just do like warm up. They wanted you to get everybody like used to like raising their hand and asking questions. The comedy was almost like, and if you make them laugh, great, you know. Yeah. Sure. So the bar was kind of low, but where it would go wrong was when you would you do two shows sometimes and in between your job was to keep the audience there and they'd already seen one Maury Povich show and they didn't oh. want two fucking Maury Povich shows right Trust no me. <laughs> they all wanted to leave yeah and you know we'd fed feed them the lie that the next show was going to start in 15 minutes and it never started in 15 minutes and sometimes it didn't start for like an hour and I was up there it was a good what's that experiment where you prove that you can become like control, like control any Milgram experiment. Yes. I think that's it. Yeah. Cause wow. I would tell people you're not allowed to go to the bathroom. You're not allowed. <laughs> and like, they, they, all I have to do is just go down the stage. It's just, I'm not an authority. Like, no. That would work on me. But yeah, yeah, they would Casey stay in would their seats. Stuck to her seat. I would, Goldie and I would have led a revolt. <laughs> We're all going to the bathroom. And then when we got there, we, we wouldn't be able to pee in front of people. <laughs> but well, now, but yeah. for Maury, was it sort of like, hey guys, Maury feeds off your shrieking. So let's just get up <laughs> and start shrieking. Well, I, I, I have to say the Maury Povich show then was just sort of like a Oprah type. It was sort of like a low rent Oprah. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't what it is now. It wasn't you are the father. You are not the no, father. Right. That was Geraldo. not the father. Back then. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you were in the golden era. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When it was respectable. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you said something in there. First of all, I haven't been able to get this out of my head for 20 minutes. So I'm just going to say that I saw the gin blossoms at Grunfest. All right, now moving back to this. If, if anybody can put that together from 20 minutes ago. No, um, you said you lived on 26th and 3rd. I lived on 26th and 3rd. Wait, what? I was, when I was squatting in my girlfriend's apartment. God, and by that I mean taking a shit. Um, but yeah, that, that area was so nondescript. Like nobody yes. knows what that part of town is. Well, I lived it. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's now, called right? Little Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and that's right. Basically, what it felt like. That's absolutely true because I would try to describe the area to be like, I, I think it's like Kipps Bay or something. Yeah, I don't really yeah. want it's it's sort of Clinton, north of Clinton Stye Stye Town. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I just remember they had a very good deli across. I miss New York delis. Can I just yeah. say something? Yeah. Yeah. I miss them. They're um, terrible. So, they, right. they do nothing right or well. <laughs> no, they have some good stuff. No. Chicken cutlet sandwich? It's all bad. Okay. 
All bad. All right. Now, Mike, you've shoehorned Ray's name into this conversation a few times, as I imagine you do often. Um, Let's tell us the story of how you two first met and how did your relationship begin with him? Um, He's one of the first comics I ever saw on stage. Lucky you. And he was, it was like an open mic plus a couple of established guys. It was him and Mike Sweeney. I don't know if you know him, but yeah, yeah. sure. Um, I love Mike. Yeah. So, so Sweeney worked the crowd the whole time. Amazingly funny. And then Ray did his thing. And I was like, wow, that guy just looks like he's talking, but he's making me laugh the whole time. Like he yes. had that ability to just, his timing is so freaking good. And yeah, he just seems like, it's like, that's what you should do. Like he just seemed right away. That's what a good comic does and i never got there but he was <laughs> yeah, always no. like i was always aspiring to be as good as him you know and then we worked together sometime at catch a rising star in princeton which was a big club for like when you know to get opening gigs at when you were just starting out if you I, were past a catch which i was i did that i got an opening gig out there it was like okay here's my big break and then I went to introduce the headliner and I forgot the headliner's name, <laughs> no. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. which I will remember to the day I die now is Jeff Parami because I forgot <laughs> it. I know who that guy is. Oh, my God. But, uh, and he, of course, was livid and he should have been. Oh but God. sorry, go on. Amazing. I know the club Amazing. well because one of my worst moments ever on stage oh, was I've right there. I've never heard that. That's yeah. well, very quickly, one of my worst moments ever on stage was a Catch a Rising Star, or offstage at Catch a Rising Star in Sprinton. John Stewart and Ray co-headlined and I opened for them and after the show, a guy came up and said to uh, whoever, they would switch. So one would middle, one would Headline, right. you know, they switch every day. And they came up to whoever was in the middle that night and said, they should have given you more time. And then he turned to me, you a little less. But- <laughs> uh, that's a great line. Uh, who was that? Who was it? Don Rickles? Who I know, I know. That? An audience member with just an incredible sense of insult. <laughs> that was amazing. Okay, so so you perform with Ray down at uh, in Princeton. Uh, yes, and we yeah. just, you know, seemed to like each other. And then he took me to the Comedy Cellar and introduced me to Bill Grunfest, if you want to keep thinking. <laughs> there it is again. I could have waited. I could have waited. <laughs> um, and I, you know... Bill let me do, I mean, I guess I must have auditioned, but it was a big break because the cellar was the place where they really only took comics once they were established. And I really right. wasn't that established. Oh. And you had to do a half, like 25 minutes, half hour was wow. like a longer set type of thing. So it really gave me a leg up, even though I didn't get that many spots there to begin with. I was already past it catch, but I wasn't getting any spots there. So the cellar really became my big break. And, and Ray's recommendation was was huge, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. And yet to go back to what you you said about his his stand-up style, where it just sounds like he's talking, but he's making everybody laugh. I feel like he's one of the best comics also at knowing exactly what he looks and sounds like at all the time like he he plays into the way that he looks and sounds so effectively and i've always found i listen goldie and i've talked a few times on the podcast about how we got involved with stand-up too late and we certainly didn't scale the heights goldie was on tv i never was but we we never we didn't experience any of that stuff but the closest i came was the night before they were filming comic relief in new york uh, all the great comics who were performing would go out and do like a practice set. And so I went to stand up New York because my, our friend John Viner, who's not asked to be part of this podcast was working there at the time. He said, come by. I think a lot of good comics are going to come by. And the lineup I saw that night was insane. 
uh, you know, Robin Williams was there, Chris Rock, Caroline Ray. But Ray came in just in the middle of that, and he was at that time just head and shoulders better than everybody there, including Robin, including Chris Rock. Like his set was, I'll never forget it. He was just transcendently great. I think you hit on the exact thing that he is his genius, that he is always truthful to himself. He he doesn't have like a false note. And that carries over into his acting. You know, he's done a lot of different kinds of parts, but he's not, you know, De Niro. Like he doesn't transform right. into a different... Maybe that's a bad example, but but you know what I'm saying. He doesn't. Right. He's not one of those guys. He's not a character guy. Right. But every part, he finds the truth in the scene, and he sort of has that. That's what he did as a stand-up. When well. when you when you met him in stand-up, was he doing material about family and that sort of thing? Was he because one of my theories about stand-up is you're sort of fully formed the second you start. That <laughs> no one actually really gets that much better. They kind of discover more. And they learn tricks, but the essence you kind of know almost instantly where you're, how far you're going to get in stand up. I feel like. And did did you think that about him, or was he, did he morph from something that we never saw into the comic he is now? No, I think I, I get what you're saying, and I, I mostly agree. I, I think he his thing was it was kind of over for him until he made it. He was looked at like, oh, he's great, but he's like a New York act. You know, oh, and and you know he's Italian. And he, like he feels New Yorky, and he doesn't feel like he's going to break through. And of course, there's the famous story about you know he got on news radio, and he's the reason Joe Rogan is a thing. Uh, right. I, I, I <laughs> yep. Fast forwarded, but but you know even his big break, he got fired off a of news radio, and if that hadn't happened, um, he would have been a sixth banana on you know a sitcom maybe. But anyway, he, he really didn't get the credit. He did Carson in like 1990 or something. And I think people thought maybe that would launch him. And it didn't really do, it didn't really necessarily take him to the next step. And, you know, yeah, he would just always looked at as a quality act, but like maybe not going to break out in New York. Yeah. But, and, but Letterman saw something in him clearly because he used to perform on Letterman a lot. I remember. And Letterman gets these guys and he picks them right. Like he was on Gaffigan, you know, he he, he had, picks these comics who are hilarious and says, I want to be in the in business with, with these people. But Ray was clearly one of those guys. And it feels like through his relationship with Letterman came his ultimate fame, right? Yes, yes. He tells the story that, you know, they called him for, uh, Rob Burnett called him, you know, we want to make a deal with you. And, you know, don't talk to anybody else. And he's like, yeah, nobody's, nobody else is talking to me. All <laughs> 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 right. And now, so we were talking about this before the podcast started, but um, Goldie and I, what, while you're talking about all these wonderful places where you performed and were passed and were, you know, being hoisted around on shoulders and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> Goldie and I were uh, sitting in the back of Hamburger <laughs> Harry's waiting to go up at Gladys's. And now you have performed, you know Gladys as as a superstar comic, not just as the as the club owning entrepreneurs that we know. <laughs> My celebrity, if I may, yes, as compared to you two, yeah, is that I could go to Gladys's and probably bump somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I could go on right away. I would have hated you. <laughs> that happened to us so many times. Yeah. I cannot tell there's, you. There's that. literally, if if one of the rats had shown an ability, 
<laughs> get in front of the microphone and tell jokes, that rat could have bumped me. There was no one I could not be bumped for. It's Andrew Goffman, the pizza-eating rat, than me. I still haven't gotten up on a show I was supposed to be doing in 1997 because I'm so bumped that, that like, I, it, it may, in six or seven years, come around, I may get the call, can you fly back to New York and do your spot? Oh, That's how long I've been bumped. Good boy, she treated us like garbage and then took all the credit for... I discovered them. They started in my room. No one cares about my discovery. There's no one. There's no one you could tell that to that would create a meaningful moment. My room. Uh, The who did what? In where? Who shot who in the what now? So now, all right. Now, now we get into the Thanksgiving dinner meat and potatoes here. So we've set up how you met Ray. And we've set up that you were doing stand-up and and got into writing at 2F. So how did it come to pass that you started uh, on Everybody Loves Raymond? Well, basically, he was writing a book, Raymond, uh, a book based on his stand-up. He was trying to, you know, some some people, Seinfeld basically just typed up his act and put it in a book Mm -hmm, and it sold like a million copies, you know? Yeah. Um, Then on the other end of the spectrum, people would turn their stuff into like prose and he wanted to do more something like that you know like bill cosby i didn't want to bring him up but yes i was I'm completely example. avoiding bill cosby but before we move on goldie that's dr cosby okay let's just give him the respect sorry sorry um so he he was touring between uh, season two and season three of Everybody Else Raymond. He's famous now. Now he's famous Ray Romano, yeah. you know. And yeah. he was very, you know, he's just a really great guy. And he hired people from New York who he had relationships with to open with him. You know, he kind of scattered opening gigs amongst a bunch of us. And so I got like two weeks of, you know, opening for him. That's cool. And we're riding around in his limo. It was like crazy. It was suddenly he's famous. It was just a crazy experience to right. be with a yeah. suddenly famous friend, you know. Yeah. Um. And he started handing me pages from the book. (laughs) Sorry, did you want to? No, we were just, just, you know, of course, we hitch our wagons to each other and no one gets anything. No, there there are no limo rides. You can't pull anyone up anywhere. We're both just tethered to each other and drowning. Anyway, go on. This is the the showbiz axiom of, you know, whatever, talent, luck. I mean, luck is super, you know, and connections, right? Yeah, uh, there's so well, much. We didn't luck into any talent. <laughs> <laughs> if if Ray Romano survived on news radio, we're, we're not even having this conversation. I'm yeah. on a cruise ship somewhere. You know, that's just <laughs> oh, what happens. But anyway, he started giving me pages, and he's like, and I knew his act really well because as since I emceed so much, I knew everybody's act. I would sit yeah. back there and watch everybody's act, right, and right. we would actually go on stage, Ray and I, sometimes, and do we would. Doing a double, we do a double. I, we would do his act in stereo. We just do the same act. That's you know, cool. A bit oh, of that's his. hilarious. And I knew all his motions, and it was just like a goofy thing to do <laughs> wow, at the end fun. of the night, you know. So for whatever reason, I was giving him, you know, feedback that he liked, and that turned into him like hiring me to fax him ideas because it was 1998, and <laughs> yeah, that turned into him basically flying me to LA and we spent two months locked in his office at Everybody Loves Raymond writing the book together, you know, oh. or running a good portion of it together, I should say. Yeah. There was someone else also involved. And then a job opened up the next season and he suggested me to fill, which was uh, 
uh, I had an added benefit that uh, Ray did Saturday Night Live a few months after that. And um, I wrote a sketch that did really well. Oh, and cool. oh. Phil was there. And so I think it, I have to think it helped Phil see this isn't just Ray's buddy, you know what yeah. I mean? Like he well, knows what he's what, doing. Can we, can we pause on that for a minute and just ask you what was the sketch? Because I'm yeah. so, we love Saturday Night. Well, we have a, an interesting love-hate relationship with Saturday Night. <laughs> well, <laughs> earlier I believe someone said they refused to watch sketch comedy. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I want to hear about this. Like, they what, treat what was... it like COVID. <laughs> um, it was a sports center sketch. I remember and, this wow. with all the catchphrases. That's right. Wow. That's right. Um, and of course, you know, like anything, I yes, I wrote it, but also got punched up incredibly by the whole Saturday Live yeah. machine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that sketch broke through for sure. Cool. It was. I was very proud uh, of probably the mo- one of the most thrilling experiences I ever had oh was sneaking into the dress rehearsal. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, not sneaking, but just getting to watch it inside and like it was killing and i was like oh my like this is you know i'm still in <laughs> yeah. new york i'm not a writer yeah. yet this is like an incredible dream come true that's yeah. so cool well you know snl is a, a just the most thrilling place it, it can be <laughs> it, no it it's is true, it yeah. is i mean as the, much as show the day? mixed feelings that you have about it it's yeah the shows are show electric incredible. it was yeah. an amazing week that I'll nine never hour table read was incredible being yelled at because i didn't seat harvey weinstein correctly <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> As a page. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Uh, yeah, That's so Harvey it's... Weinstein. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Should we relitigate this now? <laughs> that was right. <laughs> Goldie, you just did so much for the Jews earlier. Let's just yeah. off our, our friend Harvey. Oh Dr. Cosby, Harvey, come on. Who but else anyway, Mike, that, that's, that's very cool. And yeah, a badge of so, honor to not be on the show and to get something on that's yeah, pretty Yeah, for real. That's and, a really good And so point. Phil yes. was there and he saw that. The end. Yes, and, and I, I have to think that helped a little bit just, yeah. you know. That's you huge. Know, but, but then the, the next season I got on, on What Raymond idiot and, left? <laughs> season between season two and three of a hit show. Actually, yeah, uh, I think Cindy Chupac left that season to go join Sex in the City, where she oh. was at for yeah. a bunch okay. of years. And okay, so, all right. She, Not she came out smelling like a rose. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, what what was it like? Because was this? Did you consider this like a a writers room? Was the writers room different than Two F? Let's put it yeah, and way. did you even have specs or anything? Were you coming in just as a stand-up with no experience, or had you? No, I, I had a Fraser spec that he read, and um, cool. uh, it was way different than Apartment Two F because Apartment Two F was on MTV, and the head writer had another job that took over, <laughs> so we didn't have like a showrunner. We just had imagine a writers room with no one in charge. That's what we had on Apartment Two Out. Yeah. Goldie gets Goldie gets to see that every day. Yeah, <laughs> beat me to it. I, I wasn't gonna do it. Yeah, no, no, because of Rich, not because of me. Yeah, it was true anarchy and a, and a huge learning experience. I mean, obviously the Sklars, it was their show, but but this was the educational experience of sitting there watching people discuss plot and not talk about jokes. I, I didn't, I was like, we're, aren't we just pitching? Like, aren't we just saying jokes? Like what's going on? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Raymond was the, I mean, what he was able to capture about marriage in that show it is special. And I'm sure that probably came out of a lot of the discussions you're talking about where it's just like, this is a situation in a marriage, you know, like what, where can it go in 22 minutes? 
Yes, yes. It was certainly a lot of people sharing their personal, you know, uh, there was a lot of write what you know, uh, you know, yeah. this happened at my house kind of stuff coming in. But also just the way they talked, you know, you'd be in a scene and it was like, oh, Deborah's feeling like this right now. So she needs a joke that's like in this, you know, there was, it was new to me to get like, oh, here's the area, you know, yeah. or here's, right. here are the attitudes that we need to fill in as opposed to just, here's a good joke I thought of. You did know? you, yeah. did you have a moment where you felt you broke through on the show? <laughs> yes. And unfortunately it didn't come till the second season I was there and I spent <laughs> the first season thinking that I'm letting everybody down. Oh. <laughs> it was very hard. Um, I mean, it was, it was great, but it was, it was, I didn't talk hard. I hardly talked at all. And my first script, you know, Raymond was such a consistent show. Every episode was probably, I'm going to say very good or excellent. Yeah. And then I wrote one that was okay. (laughs) (laughs) And, and maybe a little bit, not (laughs) maybe a okay minus, you know, Um, and we taped it. And it, a number of things I wrote guest characters who were old people and they couldn't remember their, <laughs> their oh, lines. Yeah. So that was fucking up. And then the, uh, it was taking a long time to tape it and it wasn't going that well anyway. And then there was a bus tour that was there and they had to leave at a certain yeah. time. So they left before we were done and we finished with like half the audience and Ray, who was just joking around but didn't know quite the, the way this would knife into my heart. Oh, no. I was like, thanks for taking us back to year one. Oh, <laughs> Ouch. oh God. Driving home, crying, you know. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just like, oh, like, am I, I know I can do this, but, but then the second season, you know, Raymond, of course, famously, our process was uh, we broke about 10 stories at the end of the season. So we all went off of the script during hiatus and came in with 10 writer's drafts. So we started super ahead. So I came up with a story that I liked much better than the first one. (laughs) And that script went really well. Like that, the second one went really well. And then I felt like, okay, I am, I belong here. (laughs) And so you're, you're on the sidelines with your arms crossed saying like, well, at least people remembered their lines this time. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would have been doing. That one, no outside characters in that one. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Well, with the, with, the, I would say with the Raymond cast, you don't really want to stray to outside character. You have was, so many. And it, so talk a little bit because we, we, I, th- I believe we talked about this for, for a moment with uh, Lou Schneider, but. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What was it like on tape nights because... Raymond is probably, along with the Golden Girls, they're so famous for their laugh spread. So that is Mm. how long a a joke can make the audience laugh. 
And obviously, when you have a long laugh spread, you're you're kicking ass. So what was that like on tape nights to hear that laugh spread? Did you guys bet on how long it would be ever? <laughs> I don't remember. That's possible. Um, one thing that always happened was, you know, Phil would come back from editing and be like, we're eight minutes over. Like, it would yeah, just yeah. be crazy over, and he would have to pull it in. It's a good problem. Good yeah. problem. And also, I mean, many times he would cut the laughs out just because it was unrealistic for the people at home. You yeah. know, you'd just be like, well, no one can laugh. That's not that funny, you know, because it's obviously yeah. a different experience sitting at home. Right. But it was, yeah, some of those tape nights were just amazing. I wrote one where at the end, Ray sets the kitchen on fire, which was not my idea, but someone had, the, yeah. Phil put it in my script, so I'm the beneficiary. Right. And the who, the just, the, you're in the middle of like anarchy, like chaos. Just people right. are losing their minds at how funny, because it was really, it was super funny. Yeah. And you had to add, add an element of like this stunt of fire actually being in the kitchen, you know? Yeah. Right. Crazy. Yeah, I always picture like the sort of mayhem moment from Airplane where like people are just sword fighting, <laughs> a woman with naked breasts running in front of the screen. Like it just all, everything's off the rails. Absolutely. Um, Do you have any Peter Boyle stories? Because yeah, I, we love him. Of course, that's like my spirit guy. Oh, that's funny. awesome. I, you know, I don't, I don't really have one that comes to mind. He was great. He didn't demand a lot. You know, he was yeah. like, he just kind of came in. He, he loved telling stories, which is, why I should have more Peter Boyle. I should have stories that he told. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, Ray knows. I mean, the actors obviously kind of hung out with him more and the writers did not. I just aspire so to have that part of my career where someone just goes, here's a cranky old bald guy who likes to yell. <laughs> Let's yeah. just You're give him some lines. almost old enough. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm got getting five there. more years and then. No, I'm going to be 50 <laughs> in a couple of weeks. So yeah. it's coming. Yeah. All right, so you have a great experience at Raymond. You you win Emmys, which is again something Goldie and I know nothing about. Um, was that did you did you feel like? And I know Goldie asked this before, and I thought it was a great question. When you won an Emmy and then won an Emmy again, did it take away any insecurity in you? Did you feel like okay, yes, now I've I've made it and fuck you. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think fuck you all the time, but um, yeah, okay, good. I think it did a little bit. I mean, it, you God know, damn it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It, it has less effect now. Now right. people are like, whatever, you know, cause it's a long time ago and Emmys are not, they're not as, I mean, are you a TikTok star or did you win an Emmy? Which one? Right, you want, right. you know? But at the time, I mean, the early two thousands, it was the last gasp of like broadcast, you know, bigness. And so, I mean, you know, we had dinner at a restaurant the first week I got the job on Raymond and like some writer came over to us, like some new writer and was like, hi, I'm, I'm sorry, like you're Phil Rosenthal. And like, I just want to say like, and they were writing on some of the show and they're like, we just were so like, in, wow. we, all we do is talk about like, your show. You know, it's just some random yeah. restaurant where people like you're getting recognized as writers. It's, it's right. crazy. That's a really great. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> Guilty. But yeah, I, I you know it, it, the funny thing is when we I got nominated for a writing Emmy as well, and um, I didn't even know it was happening. My agent like woke me up to tell me because it just the possibility of that seemed. I mean, I didn't even factor it in, you know. Yeah. Right. So it was a big deal, and it <laughs> we lost the Emmy so many times. Also, that happens. You know, That's you're sitting true. in the audience and you keep losing, and then you shouldn't feel bad, but you do feel bad. You feel like this sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we finally won, it did feel like, okay, this is much better. It did. It, <laughs> it, and 
yeah, it, it, it's a weird thing to put yourself on, you know. They, they shouldn't, they should just give 10 awards every for every category. Just, <laughs> right. yeah. Let everyone Just win. be nice. <laughs> yeah. um, so then your time at Raymond comes to a close, and what a great time that must have been. But you, you went on to create another show with Ray, um, the show Men of a Certain Age, or MOCA, as I like to call it. Mm. I'm sure you guys did too, but I was kind of starting that first. <laughs> Um, we say Moaka. Very t- I don't know. We, uh, uh, hey, no, yeah. see, the Goldie usually points out those yeah. inconsistencies, but I'm glad you're the dark knight today. Um, what, but what was uh, your experience like creating that show? Was it, it must have been easy initially because you have Ray there and everyone must have been like, yes, sir, we want to be with, with Ray. But then did it turn into something else along the way? Yeah, it started at... It started because I was waiting for Lucky Louie to be picked up, which was not picked yep. up. And Ray was kind of Sorry. like, yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> life really would have gone a different way had we done conversations <laughs> of that show. But Ray and I started meeting to ostensibly write a movie just because we were both like waiting for stuff to happen. And right. he was at that point where he'd been about a year out of Raymond, hadn't really hooked on to something that he loved. He'd done a couple of movies, you know, or was in the middle of doing some independent movies. And yeah, he wanted to write something. And then we quickly sort of thought this is actually more of a series because we just started talking about we were two guys, two middle aged guys. And we literally just started complaining to each other and said this should be a show. (laughs) (laughs) And we knew, you know, the three sort of archetype characters of like a divorced guy and a married guy and a guy who's never been been married and is in and out of relationships forever. We just knew all those guys. What either were those guys or knew all those guys. And so it's like you were saying, which is that people were, once they learned that Ray was working on something, they're like, yes. And HBO yes. heard about it <laughs> and was like, and they made me a deal to write, you know, the show with Ray, um, actually topped a bunch of other people who were like offering me deals at the time and just to like develop that show. Yeah. Just because obviously Ray was involved. Then HBO ended up passing. Then there was the writer strike. And then well, we uh, ended up, you know, they were nice enough to let us sell it to TNT. But it was it was a very strange because it's an hour long dramedy. I'd never done anything like that before. And the whole time we were doing it, we're like, what do we say this is? What is this? How, how do we what do we tell people? You know, how are we like we never really pitched it. It was just so it was kind of this good thing of just like letting it be what it was and then have people hopefully like it. And why, why was it an hour? Well, it so it was an hour because it started as a half hour, like a full half hour mm-hmm. on HBO. Oh. And then putting the genie back in the bottle to be yeah. 21 minutes or whatever on like TBS would have been impo- like it just wasn't the show yeah. that we wanted to do. So ended up being, you know, 42 minutes, yeah. which is much harder. An hour yeah, is much, much yeah. harder than a half an hour. Yeah, why yeah, do that longer. to yourself? It's, like yeah. twice, it's yeah. much longer. Twice as long. <laughs> twice as long, it seems like. It's, yes, I haven't crunched the numbers, but I think that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but but <laughs> Goldie, just hearing Mike talk there gave me an idea for us. Joka, uh-huh. Jews of a certain age. <laughs> <laughs> Here <Jo-waka>. we go. <laughs> um... So you had that experience there with Ray again. And now, uh, as I see in the poster behind you, which is, I'm sure you were up all morning, like, centering it. <laughs> no, uh, there. <laughs> tell us a little bit about uh, One Day at a Time. Well, first of all, I want to point out that the pandemic made my home office 
where I just hang stuff for my for me into yeah. my self-aggrandizing <laughs> trophy yeah. space. Right. Where yeah. are your oh, Emmys? We, Where's your we had to talk to Levitan in front of his nine <laughs> Emmy shelves. Oh, so fantastic. you're doing okay. Up on the high shelf. Yeah, yeah. he yeah. moved it. He moved it up. <laughs> uh, my Emmys are upstairs. Do you want me to take <laughs> No, no, no. no. We don't want to see them. Unlike okay. us, where there's no trace of show business at all. Nothing. <laughs> Zero. <laughs> I look like I'm in a coffin. <laughs> next one. Um, one day at a time was, I was at Fox and I had a deal at 20th and, um, but it was up and Sony came to me cause they wanted to talk, they wanted to uh, do a new version of one day at a time. Right. You know, and I heard right away, it was, you know, around a Latino family and I'm like, all right, but I'll take the meeting. I'm meeting with Norman Lear, you know? Yeah. So then I'm meeting with Norman Lear and Brent Miller. And it's three white guys talking about recreating this show. <laughs> That's Hollywood. There you go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, this all sounds great because I want to work with Norman Lear, but uh, it's not just us, right, fellas? Because <laughs> right. <laughs> right? I'm not going to be able to pull that off, I can tell you right now. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, they were reading other people and they, you know, signed up uh, Gloria Calderon-Kellett. Um, and we, uh, you know, we read each other and we liked each other. But the funny thing was we didn't meet till we basically signed on to do the project. And we met in Norman's office, already signed up to do the deal. It's kind of a shotgun marriage, right. Yeah. Right. you know. Cool. And I guess if we hated each other, we could have pulled out, you know, because I, I suppose. But like it was the train was on the tracks when we met. And fortunately, we hit it off just incredibly well. We went to a cafe after the meeting and like talked for three hours about just different ideas doing the show. And it became the show about a Cuban American family through really very much through Gloria's lens, you know, right. very much about almost like her experience if she was divorced. Right. Um, Cuban Americans from Syracuse. We get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, where I was able to, you know, add my own life was that I had teenagers and I had a there you go. daughter who we used some stuff um, to create the character of Elena and my son, you know, there's echoes of him inside Alex. So, you know, I felt very invested as at the same time that we we're sort of drafting behind Gloria, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, now what, you talked about it in the past tense is one day at a time, no longer going. I thought, I thought it was still going. Bless my you for thinking God. that, but <laughs> dude, dude, what is what? your Google? Does your Google end in like 2019? Come Apparently on, man. it does. <laughs> No, I saw I saw I saw billboards for that over the pandemic. I know that was stretched into that. It, well, time. it famously has been bouncing yeah. around. Here, I'll fill you in. You know, yeah. Mike does. Don't even bother. I'll feel okay. this one. <laughs> it's been bouncing around. Uh, it actually moved from Netflix, and then at one point it was airing on CBS. But after it had already aired on TV Land, am I correct? Pop, uh, Pop, Pop. and TV as you write TV Land as well. Yeah. So it's it's. I think it's reached Jeez. the end of the line. But you guys did sort of miraculously get more out of the broth. Yes, um, we were. Did you make it to what forty some episodes? Forty six. Yes, Jesus which these days is, yeah, not too bad. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we were canceled on Netflix after three seasons. Then became the first show to go from streaming <laughs> backwards <laughs> to linear Back in time. So yeah. now we're on cable, you know, and we yeah. were on the Pop Network, which had Shit's Creek. But of course, yeah. everybody watched Shit's Creek. After it went to Netflix, but right. leaving that aside, <laughs> it was a heartbreaking situation because Pop, we premiered, we were doing very well, 
And then two things happened. And we were definitely going to be on for like three, four seasons. It, like it was going to all happen, you know? Yeah. And then the pandemic happened to interrupt production. And then Viacom became a complete mess. Yeah. And yeah. just Always. the pop network is just re- airs repeats. Now they don't do any original programming. Uh, that actually, I think, was the bigger problem than the pandemic. The pandemic, we would have come back at a certain point. You know? Right. Wow. So, okay. Well, that's thank both of you for educating me. <laughs> yeah. On but wait, where does it? Where does uh, United We Fall sit in there? So I want to tell a little a story about that. Okay. And get Mike's reaction to okay. it because so Mike and I were both under deals at Sony, and I had had this pilot, and we had had we both had pilots. You had a pilot at CBS, I believe, yes. at the time, and then I had this pilot. At ABC, and I've I've always wanted to work with Mike, and we've been friendly. Like I met you on the Fox lot for the first time, and then occasionally you've been someone who I would go in your office and scream about stuff, and you would give me very good advice and be very <laughs> kindly not kick me out and tolerate me. So we, we both turned down the Weezer pilot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I got roped onto that, which is we don't have time to go into that. Yeah. Next time you come so, back, we'll tell that story. That's I, I turned it down and then got pulled in anyway. But they were also so. I knew he was under deal. And then my pilot got picked up and your pilot at CBS came very close, but didn't. And then I said, I'm only going to have one chance to maybe work with this guy because he's going to be so in demand. And so I called you, I think the day after your pilot got passed on, I said, I know you're going to hate this. And I know what I'm asking is horrible and just in such poor taste, given what just happened to your pilot and you need some time. But I want to be the first to ask if you would consider oh. coming on board my show to help me, which why the fuck would you do that? Because you can get your own shit going on. But you so kindly did, you and Gloria, and you got us off to such a good start. And I think you wrote the second episode, which is always wow. the hardest thing to make the episode after the pilot any good. And you guys like gave me this gift of wow. getting me on my feet, which I instantly squandered and then uh, <laughs> destroyed the whole thing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, first of all, that's very nice of you to say. Um, I, I want to say two things. I remember, I, I feel like there's three or four times where you have called me when something good happened to you, <laughs> and it was the worst thing that ever happened to you. <laughs> it's, it, it, like when your pilot got picked up, I think there was a little time actually in between, but your pilot got picked up and mine didn't, and you called, and I feel like you, you might have called me from a jet ski or something you're like I'm not I'm not coming back I'm not coming back I was in I Hawaii I was in Hawaii it would be long enough you know it's it's always like I, this great thing happened and I don't know I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say no I'm gonna say no, no I'm gonna say no because fuck them you know I can't do it I can't do that it that sounds like Goldie I'm like Trump ultimately which just does that like they treated me so poorly like a dog she said terrible things about me like a dog it, it reminds me a lot of, I, I heard, I think, on the Seinfeld DVDs, uh, Larry David, just Larry David's attitude after every season was like, how can we do more? We can't do more. There's no way to do more. And meanwhile, he's the most prolific, you know, yeah. producer in the world. Then the other thing was, being on that show, Goldie is an amazing showrunner. It was oh, like to watch a guy, you know, because the worst thing that can happen is when you're in the room. And you're watching the showrunner, you know, do what I'm doing right now. Right? <laughs> Just kind of like, oh, oh, Goldie does you that. Know. <laughs> yes, but Goldie does that. And then just like reams of dialogue come out you know yes. and you're like is someone getting this all down because this is a whole like a whole scene and no one ever is out. unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one's ever typing they and they should be recording be. like we are yeah <laughs> but but then on the you know so he 
he knows what he wants and he has, you know, amazing pitching ability. But then also when you're pitching together, he's part of the team, you know, like you, 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 there was not the kind of like, oh, it's my show and like it has to come all through me. Which right. is the other night, the other end of the nightmare where you just no. I think Goldie's almost almost the opposite. Like, please come through somebody else once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I'm very greedy. I'll like put four words on what is otherwise like a perfect pitch and just go like, and we did it together, <laughs> just, just to assuage my own ego. Uh, I no, it was it. it was great to be in the room and it, it was, was fun. Know, I felt like I, I was in great hands and it was a great that. show and it got you know heinously weirdly canceled for. The I mean, it did really well, and then they're like, I, you know, you yeah, know they just didn't want to be doing it. Ultimately, like I knew when we went to Upfronts, I've said this before on the show. I went to Upfronts, and then they didn't show the trailer in the upcoming shows. It was like you guys have no interest in this. I don't know why you picked it up because yeah. because it's like all the projects they had such high hopes for were way worse, right. as right. often happens. But then they say like let's take a year recalibrate and then obviously get rid of this guy who no one likes and you know <laughs> well we talked get, about get this. along with our comedy we, people and we talked uh, about this goldie it was yeah. the ownership issue with your it's show fine. it was the ownership issue it was yeah. sony no, owning sure. half of it with it's you fine. know is a big abc doesn't want to deal with that they don't you yeah. know they no. don't see the they don't see the dollar signs or pesos yeah. as the case may be in this <laughs> how dare you oh, how dare i <laughs> Um, well, that, that, I think that's a good last question to button up with a good compliment of Goldie. Well, I want to I want to ask Mike one last question. I want to let me return, finish or return a volley of compliments. But you know, I, I you often read people and and people you know have a script and then the script doesn't go anywhere and they get very discouraged. But I, I just want to note from the beginning of this interview, like all the work you've put into your career from doing the, the thousands of stand-up sets, which are horrible circumstances, <laughs> to sitting and watching stand-up over the course of years, which is one of the worst things you can do. <laughs> Opening for someone, writing, finally hitching your claws into something, getting on something good. You could have, after Raymond just said, fuck it, I'm king of the world. And, you know, every, as long as I've known you, which I think is going on maybe 12, 15 years, like you are working so hard for the next thing, for the next thing, for the next thing. And this is what it means to be a writer to me, is that like, you will not stop. There's something wrong with you. <laughs> you can't stop. And so my final question for you is going forward, what do you see yourself doing and do you feel like you're entitled to a victory lap or do you still feel like you did at the beginning where, God, I just want to claw my way onto something and hang on? <laughs> I have been fortunate enough, starting with Raymond, to do things that I wanted to do. I very rarely had to do a thing like there's been, you know, a pilot here, not the one that we were talking about. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, there's a, I, very isolated experiences where I'm like, I hope this doesn't get picked up or, you know, like I got to get out of here. V extremely small versions of that experience. So I'm spoiled in my head, you know, that I just keep trying to do things that I want to do. And I've had so much fortune in terms of like, like the show Enlisted that I did. I did not, you know, choose to be like that. That was like Fox giving me some scripts to supervise. And then I hit it off with uh, Kevin Beagle and I didn't know anything about the military either. And then we did the show that I deeply cared about. So that just came out of nowhere, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and the same thing, I mean, one day at a time to some extent was just sort of came from like, this seems improbable that this, you know, 
that I'll have something to contribute to this particular thing. And it turned into a hugely like emotional, amazing experience. So I just want that, you know, whether somebody's paying me to do it or not paying me to do it. I love the feeling of deeply caring about a show and like, you know, I'm cheesy enough to go back and watch shows that I've worked on, you know, or created because I just love watching the, the, we, I can't believe we made that happen. Um, so at some point maybe I'll get sick of that feeling, but I, you know, I keep chasing it. That's That's really what I'm all about is, you know, I keep chasing it, whether somebody's paying me or not. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, that's so well said and God deeply caring about a show, Goldie. What a, <laughs> what, a, what a public shaming we just took. I know. I know. It felt like we were just being flogged in the town square. <laughs> anyway, Mike, thank you so much you. for yes, talking with us today. Awesome. Unbelievable. Great Johnny jokes. Amazing Karnak. And your story is really inspirational yeah. because I think we, we try to get the angles at which people enter this business and yours is certainly unique and I think incredibly interesting. So thank you for sharing that with us. And also thank you for doing this next part of the show, a part of the show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. All right. Oh, you know who's singing there, Mike? I don't. Can you fill me in? I'm... That's us. <laughs> you set me up beautifully. Yes, Thank you so much. Nice. Uh, JC, tell us what we're going to be top five in about today. Top five places to relax. Yeah. Yes. Love this. And now, wh- what order would anyone like to go in? Goldie, I guess you're doing next week, so maybe you can be last. Yeah. Yep. So, why don't, Mike, do you want to go first, and then I'll go next? Sure. The comprehensiveness is probably lacking in this, so it's going to go very quickly. No, that's all right. <laughs> okay. I'm also not sure of the rules, so um, <laughs> no rules. No rules. Number five, Hawaii. Ooh, yeah, yes. Hawaii. Already crossover. I, living here for twenty some years, I was always like, "Why would you go to Hawaii? It's, it's beautiful here. Why are you going to another <laughs> beautiful place?" And I like set foot on Hawaii soil and was like, "I have to stay here the rest of my life." It's just something <laughs> about. That's why amazing. I was yelling at you because I was in Hawaii. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's probably right. I'm, it's always someplace tropical. That's true. He actually uh, FaceTimed me from his hot tub, which oh, is number four. Than the toilet. Hot tub. <laughs> nice. Oh, Good nice. Good segue. <laughs> yes, I, I have a hot tub. I make no apologies. It's nice. the best yes. thing ever. Gorgeous. Um, number three, my pandemic purchase was a gigantic 85 inch television. Oh. And nice. literally the couch in front of that television. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic I love place. hearing the word couch in here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two, I'm just going to, I'm regretting saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. My mind. Ooh. Wow. Yes. You just went to a different in... level. That's, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's why you get the Royce bucks. Yeah. Is it gummy enhanced sometimes? Oh, sure. yes. Sure. Does yes. that make it a better yeah. place to relax? Sure. Living on the edge. And then I can't, I have to believe this is a repeated motif, but um, number one, the can. Oh, I'm sure with this wow. group. Wow. I mean, how lucky are you you get to relax there? It's yeah. yes, it's it's evolved out of having kids banging on the door to now oh, they're yes. too old. So it's just a place of it's a spot, really. Good for you. Awesome. I, I come out of there like a coal miner at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, okay, JC. my number five is um 
there's a window in our second uh, bedroom where I go to meditate (laughs) and there's just these flowers that grow right outside. It's beautiful. That is my number five. Um, Actually, this is very, I was saying earlier before we were recording that I'm very much a homebody. And so (laughs) number four is our couch, which is there's a big window where the sun comes in. And whenever in the afternoon, when that sun is right there, I like to lie there and relax. Oh, you're like part cat. And yeah, it does feel a little bit like that, <laughs> even though I don't really like cats. Um, here's crossover with Mike is number three, Kahala Beach in Hawaii, uh, Oahu. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents and my sister, we've lived there for 20 plus years and my sister still lives there. And that's where I got engaged was Kahala Beach. It's one of our Aww. favorite beaches. Um, number two, Stu Beachy Brooks. <laughs> Stu Beachy Brooks, that's right. <laughs> uh, number two is a shower with great water pressure. Just like mm. if it doesn't have good water pressure, it's just That's a white. good one. Yeah. Why, thank you. You may have to save that clip for the OnlyFans. <laughs> I know. Stop. I wasn't sure if you would go there, but you did. <laughs> and then number one, which is my cheesy number one, is, well, anywhere with Stu, but in particular, in his arms, just the oh, most Jesus relaxing. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> play, play Lucy right now. No, 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 no! I will not play her. I'll play for oh, you. My I Lord. have to go bathroom. There it is. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, that's a great list, JC. God damn it! Um, all right, I'll speed through mine. Number five is Cape Cod off season. I'm here right yeah, now. Lovely. I uh, I just drove to do an errand and did not see one car. Like it's wow. just it's just awesome. I love it here. Gorgeous. Um, Gorgeous. Number four uh, was the ride home after school. Oh. I just remember being so happy to be done with school and just many a relaxing stare out the window, car That's ride nice. home, thinking about what TV I was going to watch. Um, Number three is the uh, tying in a theme from earlier today of Jews. Number three is Palm Beach. Oh, Boy, do I love Palm fucking Beach. Yeah, both sets of my grandparents lived there Uh, when I was growing up. And I would visit each of them. And I just found Palm Beach to be so goddamn lovely. And I know Trump is there now and it kind of ruined it. But (laughs) it's... It's a beautiful, beautiful spot. Ruined it for Uh, idiots. Now I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Number two, kind of like one of JC's, is the weekend couch. Yes. Nothing like a couch on the weekends. I think the TV is implied there, Mike, Mm -hmm. so there's some overlap. And number one, I was surprised. uh, I feel like this might be on Goldie's list. Number one for me. Hotel rooms. Oh, it crossed my oh, mind. How many times have I said, I'm going to go up to the room and relax? It's like, true. And it's totally true. And I can, you can put your shoes on the bed. It doesn't matter. Right. Okay, M&Ms, two scratchers. Exactly. And, for, <laughs> and, and usually, like, everybody loves Raymond on the TV because you only have, like, you know, oh. 15 choices. And that's what I'd watch. All go. right, Goldie, go ahead. All right, here we go. Uh, number five, surprise no one had it, hammock. Oh, Get don't inside like a nice hammock. You don't like them. Number four, a pen full of dogs. Oh, just rolling around like at the animal rescue. There's just a lot of dogs, and you just get in there, and then they're all like rolling. Very nice. Number three, uh, shower. People had it. Number two, couch. Number one, I can't believe no one else had this. I cannot believe 
Bed. I know. I, yeah. I bed, you idiot. Before you fucking relax, fucking bed. Actually, Stu told me, why don't you have bed on there? Yeah. No, bed anyway, I'm making a last minute audible for the, yes. the top Omaha, 10 list. Omaha. Yeah, because I had something else, but I'm going to say uh, next week, let's do the top five childhood toys. Ooh. Wow. Ooh. Oh, my. Ooh, love that. Love that. All right, those are great lists, everyone. Um, and now let's close the show, as we always do, on a high note. <laughs> you know who that is, Mike Royce, right? Uh, that's, uh, um, no, you tell me. <laughs> that's, that's Tom and Max. Gamble and profit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Holding that note for an extra half second. Uh, I'll just quickly shoot out the high note. We talked about it at the beginning of the show, but... Uh, Family Guy 400th, as much as we shit on the party and, you know, all that kind of weird stuff that goes with it. Very exciting to have to be part of a show that's on 400 episodes, and uh, I'm grateful for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to jump on that, if that's cool with you, Goldie. Yeah, uh, jump on it. That Saturday... Is actually Saturday was my high note because I did the party was great. I got to meet Arif in person, um, the new writers and some of their wives. Shout out yep. to Lisa. Um, I met Steph in person. That yeah. was awesome. Bit yeah. starstruck with that. And then afterwards, met up with Stu, who happened nice. to have a show in, in LA at the Palladium, and I got to meet most of his band and his crew. And it was just a late night, but a really great evening. So and yes, and, and also Mike, thanks for being yes. here. Yeah, I know we're not supposed to do this, I and I was the one who railed against it, but I'm going to make Mike Royce my high note. Yeah! You son of a bitch. Because he's, been a, he's, been, a, a, he's a been a friend, he's been a mentor, he's, so he's nice. been someone who I thought Friend-tor. I could talk to in confidence. Now I see that he'll just rat me out and <laughs> portray me as a maniac. But, I mean, like we, it's, we talked for a long time, obviously, and I, I don't even feel like we got we could do five more of these yeah. and he's just an endless and generous fountain of wisdom about the business and life in general yeah here here yeah. well thank you and, very and much. We, i guess we should remember that mike royce was mike you're the one who sent the email that we spoke of <laughs> oh yeah the cheers shows. email that's right your iliad yeah, that's right. Oh, that was so great. I that generated so typing. much for us. <laughs> that was, that so was great. amazing. Well, Mike Royce, again, thank you so much for being thank here you. and sharing your story. Goldie, JC, thank you two for being awesome. Thank, thank you. you all for listening out there. And we will talk to you again next week. No, we won't. <laughs> that was fun. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thank Thank you. you.